0: Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeart Radio. Let's talk about your new work, ways to go beyond, and why they work. And uh, let's talk about these seven spiritual practices. Tell me about this. Well, the I'm and the reason I wrote the book is because, as you know, I'm a scientist, but I'm also a spiritual explorer. And um, there's now been quite a lot of scientific research on spiritual practices. And that research shows that spiritual practices in general make people happier, healthier, and live longer. The converse must also be true. People who don't have spiritual or religious practices are unhappier, unhealthier, and live shorter. So there's no good evidence that these practices have measurable effects on health, well-being, and in the short term on things like brain function, uh, you know, blood pressure, and so forth. I I wrote a previous book called Science and Spiritual Practices, where I dealt with seven different practices, and this book, Ways to Go Beyond, is a sequel, dealing with seven more. Um, The first one I discuss is something most people wouldn't think of as a spiritual practice at all, namely sports. Sports? Uh, Really? Okay. Yes, uh, because in the modern world, I think, uh, although we think of sports as supremely secular, Um, they're the main way in the modern world in which people achieve altered states of consciousness. Um, You know, if you think about meditation, which is a practice I discuss in my first book, Science and Spiritual Practices, if you think about meditation, the whole point of meditation is to come into the present. You know, normally our minds are wandering, worrying, thinking about all sorts of different things, Uh, The parts of the brain involved are called the default mode network. It's it's the chattering mind. And the point of meditation is to let go of those thoughts and and, then to come into the present by focusing on breathing or on a mantra. Well, in sports, um, people come into the present a lot quicker. Um, I had a friend in the United States who was very busy in his work, and he told me that, his mind was racing all the time. He couldn't sleep. He was thinking all the time. Tried meditating, didn't work for him. But he was also a rock climber, a mountaineer. And he said by the time he was 50 feet up a rock face, uh, he was totally in the present. It was all about where the next finger holds and footholds were. It was not about things to do with work. And if you're a football player in the middle of a match, you know, and someone's passing you the ball, you have to be completely present. Um, It's it's no use sort of worrying about whether you paid a bill or something somebody said to you or that upset you and that kind of thing. You've got to be totally present. If you're skiing downhill at 60 miles an hour, uh, unless you're completely present, you might go over a cliff and and you die. That's right. So I think one of the things that happens with sports and one of the reasons they're so attractive to people not just team games, but things like mountaineering, skiing, windsurfing, um, skydiving, and all those kinds of things, is that they bring people completely into the present. And, um, and then many people do have spiritual experiences uh, in, in the context of sports. Um, Michael Murphy, who founded the Esalen Institute in California, wrote a best-selling book called Golf in the Kingdom about the mystical side of golf, which has been a bestseller among golf players for, for years. Um, so anyway, that, in this chapter on the spiritual side of sports, I'm, I look at this aspect of sports, which um, is, I think, largely neglected and very little discussed, and yet enormously important to hundreds of millions of people. Um, who don't even think of it as spiritual themselves, usually, until they have an overwhelming spiritual experience and recognize, yes, well, this is a spiritual experience. And that's one of the seven possibilities that you have of spiritual experiences. You also talk about fasting. Tell me about that. Well, fasting is found in all religious tradition. Yeah. Um, you, you know, in Christianity, it's practiced in Lent by many people. Um, sometimes it's reduced to giving up cookies or chocolate or something, but, or alcohol. Um, but some people traditionally do fast completely, water fasts, you know. Um, in Islam, uh, they fast during Ramadan, during the daylight hours, no food or drink, not even water. Um, there's fasts in Hinduism, fasts in Buddhism, in many shamanic societies, they fast before rites of passage or vision quests and so on. Um, and of course, in in the Judeo-Christian tradition, it's it's there. In the, the Jewish people, fast on Yom Kippur. Jesus fasted forty days in the desert um, after his baptism. So there's a long ancestry of of this practice. But it's also been studied uh, medically and scientifically. And it's now known that the best way to extend life in almost any animal, even a microbe like the bacterium E. coli or a worm or a fruit fly or a mouse or a human, the best way to extend life is to have periods of fasting. If you feed mice on alternate days, so every other day they're fasting, Um, they live 50% longer than mice that are fed every day Um, and this is called caloric restriction restriction of calories Um, and fasting therefore has this great health benefit I, I mean I'm not saying it's good for everyone people who are on multiple medications suffering from anorexia or diabetes or something not advisable just to do this without some advice or supervision but um, for most people um, it's very helpful practice and I myself do it every year during Lent You know, in the period before Easter um, I usually do it for four days Also in Holy Week uh, the week leading up to Easter um, just milk, I'm sorry not milk uh, water and tea uh, no food and um, and I find that it, after the first day or two, I stop feeling hungry. Um, food still smells delicious, but um, I stop feeling hungry. It becomes much easier to do once you get into it. Um, and I become clearer in my mind, more able to concentrate. It's a better for prayer and meditation, which is one reason it's done in spiritual traditions. You have more vivid dreams. And it's psychoactive. Um, when you're fasting, you're metabolizing fats, and the breakdown products of fats in the blood give a kind of slightly sweetish smell to the urine and the breath of fasting people. One of those compounds is uh, the gamma aminobutyric acid, um, no, sorry, beta, beta-hydroxybutyric acid, um, and that's very related to gamma-hydroxybutyric acid, which is... Uh, A neurotransmitter, GBH, it's also a street drug because it produces euphoria, and very closely related to the neurotransmitter, gamma-aminobutyric acid. And the levels of this compound go up in the blood automatically when you fast, they change the neurotransmitter levels, and they have these psychoactive effects. So there's um, a lot of research on fasting, Um, the general effects are very good, they detoxify the body it also has the great advantage of being free. Um, In fact, not only free, but you save money if you're fasting because you're not spending it on food. Um, So this is a a remarkably effective practice and I think sadly neglected in in the modern world. I think the health of people in America, Britain and everywhere else would be greatly improved if most people uh, had a short spell of fasting every year. Um, I think so, and uh, our religious traditions do indeed encourage that. Well, Jesus did that, didn't he? Yes, Jesus did it for forty days, and um, and you know it was a, a common practice among Jewish prophets. Um, so it has a long ancestry. The meshing of science and spirituality is that difficult or easy? Well, it depends what kind of science you have. If you, as you know, the standard scientific worldview that's still orthodox in schools and universities is based on the philosophy of mechanistic materialism, the doctrine that nature is mechanical, uh, matters unconscious, uh, evolution is purposeless, uh, minds are nothing but brains. God doesn't exist out there, but at best as an idea inside human brains, and therefore inside human heads, uh, and with no objective uh, existence. That's the standard materialist worldview, which is basically atheistic, and is opposed to all religions, and usually opposed to spiritual practices as well. Um, Well, that, that does set up a conflict, of course, with religion and spiritual practices. But I myself think that this dogmatic materialism in science is something which is holding science back. It's not proven by science. It's simply a belief system or set of assumptions, which I deal with. I discuss them in detail in my book, Science Set Free, where I take the 10 dogmas of science and turn them into questions and show that actually, um, things are much, much more interesting. If we question these dogmas, they open up new possibilities for discovery. Um, For example, the idea that nature is mechanical, machine-like, is not something proved by science. It's simply a metaphor. Um, Originally, in the 17th century, people thought the universe was like clockwork because you could make clockwork models of the way the moon moved around the Earth. Um, But now we know the universe began in the Big Bang, um, and it's been growing ever since and forming new structures within it as it develops. It's much more like a developing organism. The earth, Gaia, is much more like a living organism uh, than like a misty ball of rock hurtling around the sun uh, in, uh, just simply according to mathematical laws. I mean, it does do that, but it's much more than uh, just an inanimate object. Um, so I think that when you have a view of nature as alive, organic, um, with our own minds as uh, more extended than our brains, The kind of scientific worldview that i've been trying to develop through my own books and which many other people are developing too uh, then the conflict with spirituality and religion sort of melts away and the fact that scientists are now studying spiritual and religious practices and finding uh, that they have these measurable effects and many benefits um, i think more or less dissolves this ideological conflict that used to exist Uh, Into something much more collaborative. Um, You know, a scientific study of fasting and its effects on health and mental life and well being is not in conflict with the practice of fasting, and the practice of fasting is part of religious traditions, as we've just discussed. So there's no conflict there, and the science can actually illuminate uh, the practice of fasting in in a helpful way for those who fast. And where does prayer fit into this, Rupert? Well, that's one of the spiritual practices I discuss in my book. And um, all these are practices I do myself. I mean, uh, the, the one reason I've written the book is that you know, they're personal experiences for me, not just theoretical exercises, these these discussions. Um, and prayer... Um prayer does require one to have a belief system that goes beyond atheistic materialism because prayer involves invoking a higher being than oneself. All prayers begin with an invocation, our Father, who art in heaven you know it's an invocation to God the Father um you know come holy Spirit is an invocation to the Holy Spirit, an aspect of the holy trinity of of um as Christians conceive of God as a holy trinity, Um, then uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, used by many Catholics and some Anglicans, um, is invoking the power of Mary. Um, And in all religions, people start by invoking uh, the God or the form of God or the being to whom they're praying, the saint or the ancestor or whoever. And so the first step is to connect with a, a spiritual being. And then in petitionary prayer, where you're asking for something, to um, direct attention to the things you're concerned about, You know, problems in the world, the sickness of someone you know, um, problems in your own life. Uh, most prayers are about very practical things, prayers for defense, protection, healing, uh, good fortune, uh, protection from enemies, um, passing exams, success in business, and so on. These are the kinds of things people pray about, They're things to do with ordinary life. Um, and for many people, this is very helpful, it is for me, and people who pray, uh, again, there's lots of evidence that shows people who pray regularly uh, live longer and uh, generally speaking. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.